Do you think he's fucking Dumbledore? No, he's not. He's Dr. Fauci. Hello, everybody. Hello, hello. Welcome to Cheap Wine and Screaming, the podcast where we drink cheap wine and also scream. Ah! Hi, I'm Travis. That's Crystal. Hey, Crystal. Hello. Hello, Travis. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I just asked you how you are like 10 minutes ago. We had a full on conversation before we started recording, but you know what? That's fine. I'm good. I'm good. I'm doing good. How are you? I am doing very well. I'm having myself some dinner during the pod. What are you drinking? I am drinking. This was cheaper than two buck chuck, which is no longer two bucks. It's not. It's I'm not. actually drinking a cheap wine this time. I'm proud of myself because yeah. usually I'm drinking. What have we had? We've had water. We've had cider. Now we're actually living up to the brand of the podcast. I right. am having Rosario Estate Viñas Chilenas. <laughs> Don't make fun of my pronunciation. No, no, go on. Go no, on. no. No, it's fine. Go on. Keep going. <laughs> um. Sauvignon Blanc. It was three and one half dollars. Nice. I like the label. I do too. And I also really like Sauvignon Blanc. And what year is it? Oh, 2020. Nice. And it has a cork in it. It's Love a that. three and a half dollar wine that's not a screw top. I literally had to buy a fucking wine, wine opener. Yeah, I love those things. Which I have now, so I guess that's cool. Did you know? So, well, you probably just have it in there as like a stopper. But mm-hmm. never mind. I was about to like explain to you how to open wine with that, but you clearly did it. Um, so I don't know why my urge was to do that. I am drinking the wine. I did do right. it wrong though. Got I it. have had it. Opening just, wine is oh. one of those things that I've had explained to me like every single time I do it. And I'm like, yeah, I just politely listen. I'm like, I am not going to retain this. this Maybe as a happen. YouTube video, I will do a tutorial for us and, and the listeners. Um, yeah, and then I can watch it every single time I open wine. <laughs> <laughs> I could just... It's like those people that like watch a how do I tie a half Windsor every time they have to wear a tie. <laughs> so. Wait, is that are you having vodka and, and LaCroix? Yeah. I feel like that's a step up from vodka soda because I feel like a vodka soda is just a vodka and like plain <laughs> carbonated water. But this is naturally essenced. It is naturally essenced with the key lime LaCroix. And I also spritzed a little bit of lemon juice in there. Okay. So, yeah, I'm just like a I'm basically a bartender. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's what I'm drinking. And I put a, I even put a little bit of sugar in it because I wanted something sweet. Um, this is mostly out of necessity and laziness. Um, I famously lived down upstairs of a liquor store, but I just was playing too much Mario Kart to be bothered to go get a bottle of wine. And so that in, is my, entirely fair. in my freezer, I had Svedka and I had, you know, LaCroix in my fridge and I had a lemon and I was like, okay, this will do, I think so. Travis, today... We have decided that we're going to talk about Senate procedure. How I'm so really? excited. I'm pumped. I'm so ready. Yeah. I think specifically we're going to center in around the filibuster, but we could talk about congressional procedure um, and maybe just kind of as an, uh, in the abstract, zooming out Congress in itself. Well, I hope we don't zoom out too much because the only homework that I did was to learn about the filibuster because okay. let's... <laughs> let's talk about this though because i feel like the filibuster is like broadly extremely misunderstood yes yes very much this is the kind of preamble to any conversation about the filibuster is always what the fuck is the filibuster right and it seems to vary within that conversation right like i couldn't find it 
but there are examples of like journalists literally not understanding like people who cover politics literally not understanding what the filibuster is or when it's implemented um according to pew research in 2010 only 25 percent of americans knew that it took 60 votes to break a filibuster right i assume that that number has gone up in the last 11 years especially since it is a hot button topic right now right but i mean who knows how much and like i i think that that's emblematic of like how well people understand the filibuster right yeah. So why don't you, why don't you explain? Because here, okay, no, no, no. I'll I'll give you I'll give you like the apocryphal version. Okay. Here's what I think a filibuster is. Mm. A filibuster is if someone comes to the Senate floor and they put down a bill and you're the first person to slap down your hand and you say filibuster, <laughs> <laughs> then you have to talk for 18 hours and pee your pants. Yeah, that's that's it, Crystal. We're done here. And uh, then Crystal, thank you, everybody. <laughs> and then the bill does not pass. Then the bill cannot pass. That's the rules. It's like a double, it's like a triple dog dare. Right. Right. <laughs> that's where I'm that's that's where I have been at. Like I'm constantly questioning my my understanding of this of this Senate procedure to the point where like the only thing I'm sure about is like the pop culture understanding. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's you're, you're so right when you say that like people just kind of have a misunderstanding of, of what the filibuster is. And then by extension, I think they have a little bit of a um, skewed understanding of what the history of it is and like the, and the history of the Senate they're in. Right. So to establish real quick, like normal Senate procedure, it's exactly the same as the house, right? The house requires a simple majority to pass a piece of legislation, right? If you remember to your schoolhouse rock days, um, that how the bill originates in one of the houses of Congress, right? Either the House or the Senate, and then it goes to the other, right? So I'm sorry, I'm gonna pull you aside there. Everybody <laughs> always says that. Everybody always says, "Remember when you watched Schoolhouse Rock?" And I'm like, "No, you never watched it. Nobody, nobody showed us Schoolhouse Rock. That Ever? was for AP US history. We didn't get to watch Schoolhouse. Rock. You didn't watch it in like elementary school? No. Was this really? an everyone thing? Did everybody get to watch Schoolhouse? Because we did not. Oh, I, I watched it in elementary school. Maybe this is a California thing. Maybe my elementary school was trash because we also didn't learn about like grammatical sentence structure. <laughs> to this day, I you do not, not you know. You did not know about like subject verb agreement. I don't or... know what a participle is. I don't know. Interesting. Subject verb agreement, who? I don't know. I think it's on Netflix, uh, Schoolhouse Rock. I should probably catch up. Anyways, yeah, the sorry, songs are on. The songs are bangers. They're really, um, <laughs> but so a bill will originate in the house, it needs a simple majority to pass. Normal Senate procedures require the same in the Senate. So like a, a bill would need a simple majority. Right now in the United States, that means 51 votes, right? Because there are two senators per state. Now, there is <laughs> uh, a procedure in the Senate called the filibuster, which allows members of the Senate to continuously debate the legislation at hand. I think the current understanding that a lot of people have about the filibuster is that in the Senate, you need 60 votes to pass a bill. That's not true. Functionally, it's true. Like, uh, like essentially, like if you want a big piece of legislation to pass in the United States Senate, you essentially do because of the filibuster, but it's not like, and I know that sounds like semantics and kind of, you know, uh, uh, it doesn't really matter, but like um, 
it kind of is like important to kind of differentiate between the two in the Senate to pass legislation. You need 51 votes unless like the, the meddling minority, uh, you know, senators come in and they say, actually, no, we're going to continuously debate this. Um, and what they're blocking was, is what's called cloture, which is the ending of debate. Right. So and- that's, that's the big term that I think is, is really important here mm-hmm. is like, Everybody's heard the term filibuster. Not a lot of people, not as many people have tra- heard the term cloture and understand cloture. Right. Filibuster is is sort of multiple things, as I understand it. Filibuster is essentially any means of prolonging debate on a bill. Right. Cloture is a motion to end debate on a bill. Right. The Senate has this tradition of infinite debate. You can just debate a bill as long as you want. If you debate it until the end of the congressional session, then you effectively blocked the bill entirely. Correct. Right. Um, But cloture was introduced in the Senate in 1917, I think, Mm -hmm. because people were tired of that. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, People decided we really need... (laughs) to like shut the fuck up there's a war on we need some brevity here everybody. <laughs> right yeah. right we need to actually get something through the senate and so they introduced this uh procedure in which a supermajority, which was then i think 67 senators mm-hmm. um out of the hundred could vote to end debate and hold a vote um since then it has been decreased to 60 right in the 1970s correct looks like Um, A whole bunch of civil rights uh, legislation was uh, trying to get passed and it was not happening because people were filibustering it. So the Senate decided we we really need to pull cloture requirements back Mm. Um, or, you know, the people that were in favor of civil rights legislation decided we we really need to try and pull uh, the cloture requirements back. And that's how we've ended up with this 60 vote supermajority being de facto required to pass legislation. It's not actually required to pass legislation. It's just required to end the filibuster or end debate and push the bill to a vote so that people can't just stand around talking about how this bill will be the fall of American democracy until everybody gets tired and goes home. Right. Well, and it's important to call out here too what debate means. Right? Yes. Because, <laughs> because it, it's not like a, a, a vigorous uh, back and forth of ideas. It is right. like red tape. It is adding, you know, amendments. It's, it's, it's requiring different loopholes. It's, 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 um, it's sometimes like, a, you know, fl- a floor debate. It's sometimes, um, you know, uh, at, you know, asking to amend, you know, the part of the, the, the legislation. Um, it, it's essentially just a bunch of procedural bullshit to delay yeah. <laughs> the, to delay the passage of the bill. That's what, well, that's what debate is. <laughs> so what's, what's shitty here. I mean, what, what leaves a gross taste in my mouth about, any, any kind of Senate procedure like this, but especially this, is that the people who want to preserve it are constantly citing it as like this great tradition. This is one of the greatest legislative bodies in the world. We really, really need this tradition. It's very important. The framers wanted it. It was really, you know, mm-hmm. the idea, the point of having this capability of the Senate to, you know, have indeterminate debate, the idea is for people to talk about the merits of a law, Mm -hmm. is for people to discuss and to listen to one another. 
Right. That's the idea. That was the idea of the, the framers of the Constitution, right? Which, you know, I'm not on the team of lionizing the framers of the Constitution, but for the people who are, that but, was what it, they wanted. It's important to note, too, that, like, this is not a product of the framing of the Constitution. It's yeah. actually the, it's it's what they tried to avoid when framing it, right? Yeah. Like, when, if you read, like, the Federalist Papers, you know, with Alexander Hamilton, um, he talks about the reason the Articles of Confederation didn't work was because of supermajority requirements, right? Mm-hmm. And so, like, this procedure, the filibuster, is, like, is is pretty novel right like it's pretty it's it this it's not always been this way which is something that we should probably kind of explore and i'm sorry i didn't mean to interrupt you but no yeah i mean it's it's an exploitation right? right i mean it's it's an exploitation of the capability that was designed into the the procedures of the senate with the purpose of allowing debate because as it was designed um, the framers of the Constitution felt like it was really important for the United States Senate to be able to hear every thought that was relevant to a bill. And this is another, I think, another example of a place where our government was designed with a presumption of good faith, right? With a presumption of decency, with the idea that people would come in to the Senate Um, expecting to be bipartisan, right? Because partisanship didn't exist at the time that this system was designed, right? right? Um, With the assumption that people would come in, you know, impartially and not allow their, you know, um, preconceived biases to color the way that they listened to debate on this bill. That's so many steps removed from what's going on now, right? It's not that people aren't listening to each other's remarks about the bill, the remarks are a formality. The remarks yeah. on the Senate floor about a piece of legislation are not remotely designed to convince other senators to vote or not vote for them. Their minds are made up. That, exactly. It's all strategy. Right. All of that calculus has been done by the time a bill comes to the Senate floor. Exactly. So it's not debate. It's pageantry. And that's not an exaggeration. I think a lot of people say that and people are like, oh yeah, well, people will call it pageantry. No, that's literally what it is. It's all theater. Right. It's all, this is what my base will see me saying about this bill. And that's what's going to get me reelected. Right. Yeah, totally. And I think there's been a lot of discourse about the filibuster. And then I think people kind of People kind of get into like uh, weird, weird territory about like um, of like trying to defend it um, from what you described, like his, from a historical lens or for like a functional lens or from like a minority rights lens and then get upset when people say, you know, this this thing, this rule is racist. Right. Because it is. It's rooted in racism. It's mostly through our history, you know, prior to the 2010s been used <laughs> for racism. Right. Um, and so when you call that out, that kind of, uh, you know, uh, people people don't necessarily like to engage in that conversation. Right. Uh, but it's important to kind of note the history here. Right? Like you talked a lot about, like the civil rights legislation, the Civil Rights Act, right? the 1964 Civil Rights Act was one of the most famous and um, infamous <laughs> um, uses of the filibuster. Um, and, you know, that has passed and uh, that passed and, you know, um, that's great. Um, but there was a whole cascading amount of civil rights legislation that 
you know, Southern Democrats, Dixie, Dixiecrats used to use the filibuster to block, you know, um, minority rights from passing in the United States Senate. And that's still happening. That tradition is still happening. Right. Um, uh, and we can kind of get into the, into the filibuster now in a minute. Um, but I, the, the, the discourse I think is, is really interesting and, and what people's interpretation of what the filibuster is, um, is interesting to me too, and and, and rather maddening. Um, I think I think the the, <laughs> the notable the notable um, holdouts of the Democratic Party in the Senate. For no, 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 no. Hold on, are... hold on. Wait well, for it. Wait for it, Travis. Let's finish explaining what it is before you go off, because I can see it. I can see it. I'm gonna lose my shit. I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna lose my shit today. Okay, go on. We you have to. I can. I can continue. Do you want me to continue? With we the have book? to finish explaining what. We have to finish explaining because because if you start talking about Chris, Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin now, I got a lot to say. We're just gonna peek the mic. And... <laughs> okay. 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 Before before we launch into your prepared rant, um, yeah. which I do appreciate. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> let's let's talk about what what has what has the filibuster transformed into? Yeah. You know a lot more about this than me. This is this is an example of one of those things that I I sort of know how I feel about it in broad strokes, but mm-hmm. I think you know a lot more about the sort of details than I do. Yeah. So it, it the filibuster has moved from you know, what, what you described as this kind of like political rosy reality of like every voice should be heard. Like we should have debate about bills. We should, um, we should talk about the merits uh, and the pros and cons of each piece of legislation. This is the most important um, deliberative body in the world. The United States Senate is the most important deliberative body in the world. So we need to debate these bills and we need to have, we need to have, um, um, you, you know, uh, ideas. We need to have a, 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 a professional exchange of ideas when it comes to the these things right but you're exactly right that like it has now moved the function of the filibuster has now moved from a tool to promote debate to a tool to um to <laughs> block bills from being passed to 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 promote minority rule um is, is probably a good way to kind of frame this so well i think that's a good point because i think um there's a lot of people there's a lot of sort of like you know professional political commentators right. who will say things like oh the filibuster is nonpartisan the filibuster <laughs> the, fi- the filibuster is about is not about republican versus democrats it's about majority versus minority mm-hmm. but i think that you know and i'm not a professional political commentator i'm not a political scientist but that strikes me as weird yeah. that's that strikes me as not quite accurate um not least because of you know the amount that we see the filibuster in use yeah um coming from the conservative party right but also because you know we see we see democrats fighting pretty hard right now to you know try and get rid of the filibuster mm-hmm. i don't think democrats are so short-sighted that they have forgotten that when they become the minority when and if they become the minority again um you know we just won't <laughs> they'll they'll turn around and change their mind i think that i think there's there's a lot of i've heard a lot of arguments to that effect right, you're right. like oh the democrats shouldn't dismantle the filibuster because they're gonna want it one day when they're not the majority anymore um <laughs> 
which I do hope that the Democrats are not the majority anymore one day, but I don't hope that they're replaced by Republicans. I hope that they're replaced by like people who actually reflect my views and values. That's another, that's another episode. But here's the thing. One of the fundamental properties of the filibuster is that it is a preventative measure. Mm -hmm. Right. And so when you have a conservative versus a progressive party, which we can, you know, there's debate that can be had about the nuances of whether those terms are applicable. But when you have a conservative versus a progressive party, right, you have a party that wants to keep laws as they are and a party that wants to pass new laws. And so by definition, a measure that prevents the passage of new laws is going to be employed much more by one interest than the other. It's going to be much more instrumental to the work of one side than the other. That's at least how it seems to me. And that's why it seems to me to be a bit unbalanced to call this a nonpartisan issue. Correct. Right. Well, and if you look at the makeup of the Senate, right, that that's, that's another part that kind of colors this that I think people just don't understand is that the Senate is overwhelmingly favorable to Republicans, right? But just because out of out of design, right? Like the Senate has already, the Senate by design has promoted minority rule. Right? And that's kind of separate than the filibuster, but just as a, as, a, as a touchstone of like how the Senate already promotes minority rule, I think is really interesting. But yes, functionally what happens here is that the filibuster is no longer used for debate. It is used for obstruction, right? And it is used to stop regular business from happening in the United States Senate. And because that has been the reality since the 70s, right, and more so, like overwhelmingly more so in the 20s, I think starting in the Clinton era and to now, the filibuster has been used much, much, much more profoundly than it has in our first, in its first, you know, 100 years of existence, right? Um, So what's important to kind of note here is that functionally what the filibuster has created is a 60 vote requirement for passage of legislation in the Senate, right? And again, we've kind of delineated between that at the beginning of this, right? Like you only need 51 votes to pass pass a bill in the Senate, but because of that, because of the filibuster, functionally you need 60, right? This is why Obama had to pull teeth in order to get the Affordable Care Act to pass, but it's because of the fucking filibuster, right? And similar, every single president since Bill Clinton has had this uphill battle to pass legislation in the Senate. But because of that obstructionism, we the the people of the Senate has have realized, oh, there are things that we actually like need to do in order to like have a functioning government. And so mm-hmm. there are things that are filibuster proof. Most notably and most recently presidential nominations, so nominations to the cabinet, and um, very specifically and strategically judicial nominations. Um, Those only require a simple majority. And also what we call budget reconciliation. The United States has to have a budget, right? Um, And so what has functionally happened now is through budget reconciliation is how legislation gets passed in the United States, right? And it has to have certain requirements, right? You and I have kind of talked about this in the past about, um, you know, a bill gets scored and things in that bill have to be, you know, by by the Senate parliamentarian have to be, um, have to um, relate directly to the budget and like all of these like specific stupid rules that are like absolutely maddening and ridiculous and archaic. Uh, but because this is how regular Senate business has become, right? The filibuster is what rules all. 
if you want to get anything done, you have to th- like shove it into a budget reconciliation bill, which we can pass one or two times a year, right? right? And which is what Joe Biden did, right? That's the most recent COVID bill passed through budget reconciliation because we couldn't get 60 votes in the Senate to stop cloture, right? Um, yeah. Right. And and that was the um, the, the recent debate about the, the minimum wage when- yes the minimum wage got sort of stricken from the budget reconciliation bill because there is a single person, well, with the staff, but like a single person whose job it is to sort of, I don't remember her name and I don't remember her title. Um, The parliamentarian. The Thank you. The Senate parliamentarian's job is to sort of go over the bill and just make sure that the bill itself follows all of the rules. Right. um, Of the Senate. And and people kind of, People were coming for the Senate parliamentarian about like not scoring this as part of like a budget reconciliation bill. And she like this might be an unpopular opinion, but she's right. You know, like the, the minimum wage has very little to do with the budget of the United States. What you need to be attacking is this fucking process right here. This right. is what is the problem, right? This is why we can't pass minimum wage at all, is because of the filibuster. Sorry, go on. Right. No, 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 don't be sorry. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. A lot a lot of flack did come for this person. Right. Um, a lot of misinformed flack, in my opinion. It's important. I, I, think, we, I think we underestimate the importance of impartiality in a lot of ways in, yeah. you know, sort of contemporary discourse, <laughs> which we can get into. But um the job of the parliamentarian of the united states senate is to make sure not that a bill is morally good overall but Mm -hmm. that it follows the rules of the senate her job is to step out of what she personally thinks is you know good and important and should pass and um in an unbiased way go through the text of the rules of you know the the senate of the united states and see whether the bill follows the rules and there's a lot of people who will be like oh no no no, your your bias is going to affect everything you do and there's no unbiased there's no such thing as unbiased okay but it is possible to follow instructions right right it is possible to follow rules right like i i I could go off on a whole tear about that conversation about how, you know, people want to say that because inherent bias exists, there should just be no such thing as rules anymore. And everybody should just like go off of their moral gut. Um, What could go wrong for everything for fucking everything. Um, Or that people are doing that. And it's impossible for someone to try and set aside their biases. There's, there's people who will make arguments like that. And I find it frustrating but yes, so what the Senate, Senate parliamentarian found about the minimum wage, which was stapled into the budget reconciliation, was that this is not part of the United States budget because the United States is not the one writing the checks to minimum wage workers. Correct. Right? And so it was a stretch to begin with that the minimum wage increase would affect the United States budget. Like there are ways in which you can argue that it would affect the United States budget, but it's not, you know, accounts receivable of the United States. Um, that's not on the profit loss sheet, right? Payable, excuse yeah. me. It's, it's not accounts payable of the United States, mm-hmm. right? Um, so she decided, no, this does not count. You know, the Congress decided to strike that that piece um, from the bill. And that's why we don't have $15 an hour minimum wage right now is right. because Congress tried to shove it through 
the only way that they could. Mm-hmm. And it's because of the filibuster that this happened. It's not because of Elizabeth McDonough that this happened. Right. It's because of the filibuster. It's because of corporate interests. It's because of cronyism. It's because of um, Mitch McConnell having not one single bone of human empathy in his body. And despite being 70% bones, <laughs> there is one person in the world that I will body shame, and it is Mitch McConnell. <sighs> <laughs> He's really turned into the villain of this podcast, hasn't he? <laughs> he's, the, he's the villain of America. He's he the villain of the free world. Yes, he, he absolutely is. Well, and it's interesting too. Such as you, it would be. Well, when you talk about like the the Senate parliamentarian um, and how we get around the filibuster, right? Like there, there's a lot of debate on how how do you get around this, right? One of those reasons, one of those ways is the budget reconciliation, right? And you I must think- go into the basement, find Mitch McConnell and answer his riddles three. <laughs> um but i thought bernie was kind of bernie had an interesting idea about the filibuster and how do you how you get around it um he's kind of like a this might be a, a little bit of controversial but he's he is definitionally an establishment senator right like he's been in the senate for a very 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 long time and so his idea when he ran when he ran in the um in the presidential race was the way actually you get around the filibuster is you just overrule the senate parliamentarian right through through majority so for this example right uh the senate parliamentarian says no you know actually minimum wage is not part of the united states budget and so what bernie was proposing is saying getting 50 of his friends in the Senate and saying, hey, actually, hey, friends, do you think that like minimum wage is actually like affects the budget? Mm-hmm. You do? Okay, cool. Actually, we disagree, Senate parliamentarian. And then you overrule her, right? <laughs> right? And you could do that forever, right? You could say, actually, do you think that um, gay rights belong? It, does, does that have anything to do with the United States budget, you do? 50 friends? Cool. Let's just overrule her again, right? right? And so like that was his idea to kind of get over the filibuster, right? To kind of like squeeze, you know, like squeeze your way around this like huge issue, which is like, in my opinion, not ideal, right? Like just to get rid of the fucking filibuster because that's what's important to note here as well is that you need 51 votes to what is to get rid of the filibuster, which is what we call the nuclear option, right? So it is a Senate yeah. rule, right? This is a Senate rule. It requires a majority of the senators to get rid of the rule, mm-hmm. right? And so that's been described as the nuclear option, which would forever get rid of the filibuster uh, and therefore would only require 51 votes to pass any piece of legislation without like, you know, it, it require most importantly 51 votes um, to enable cloture on debate. So what would happen? Like, what would it mean for American politics? If we got rid of the filibuster, what would America look like? <laughs> Prominent Republicans seem to believe yeah. that it would gridlock the Senate, um, that it would result in, you know, it would just absolutely scorch the fabric of American democracy. We would get right. nothing done. We would have further gridlock. I really kind of fail to see that argument. Yeah. I kind of fail to see how removing an obstruction would 
create further gridlock. Maybe there's some sort of like political 3D chess there that I don't understand. And, you know, like maybe someone will tweet at us and explain to me exactly what what Mitch McConnell's argument is. But I did spend an inordinate amount of time trying to wrap my head around like how what is the logical progression here? How did Mitch McConnell arrive at this arrive at this statement that you would have Senate gridlock if you removed the procedure that allows the minority party to gridlock the Senate? Yeah, as if we didn't that already have gridlock. Like feels I- gaslighty to me. Right. <laughs> but maybe I'm wrong. I, yeah, I don't understand it. And, I, you know, the filibuster is kind of coming in to play again right now because because of the January 6th commission vote. And, yeah, yeah, which we can get into. Um, but Kirsten Cinema, uh, Senator from Arizona. Here um, we go. <laughs> So okay, before, 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 before I get into my rant, my prepared rant, I think the argument here is that what the filibuster preserves is bipartisanship, which actually just isn't real. I just want to be clear. Like, this is not a thing that exists in the United States, a bipartisan no. understanding of anything. It's not a thing that exists in the world, right? Like, the, there is no other country, established Western country, I should say, in the world that requires minority buy-in to pass a legislation. That's not how it fucking works. <laughs> like, I, like, I, I anyways, and you, ha- it, it, there is consensus, there is like, consensus building, there is like coalition building, right? Like you could, you saw that in Israel, right? That's how they pushed out Benjamin Netanyahu this last week, right? A bunch of minority parties got together and they decided on an agree- agreeable agenda and they pushed out a person based on their majority, right? But they created a majority. That is how it works. The Democrats currently have a majority in the Senate. They have a majority in the House. Therefore, dictated by the voters of the United States, they have a majority to do what the fuck they want in the government, right? They also have the presidency. So the, the, the idea, the idea that you give a fucking shit about what Marco Rubio has to say about abortion is laughable. I don't give a shit about what he has to say about any of this because he is in the minority party. If he wants to have say in the United States government in legislation, then he needs to fucking get his party to the majority and he needs to win the idea war. But Republicans cannot do that. They are unable to do that in the United States. Their policies are so unpopular and so edge and so ridiculous that that they are unable to do it that way. And so this is where we're at. This is how they govern. Okay. Thank you, Travis. Yep. Thank you. Sorry, what were you going to say? Have a a lot, Katsota. No, I mean, obviously, obviously I agree with everything you said. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I, I think it is really important to point out that this is not how government works anywhere else. Um, That this is not, this is not typical. This is not typical for government. (laughs) The filibuster is effectively affirmative action for conservatives. Just like so many facets of the American political system. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I mean, conservatives, I I think we use conservative and Republican interchangeably sometimes. Um, But I do mean conservatives, right? We have a party switch that we've talked about. um, And a lot of people know that Democrats in the United States are, they're considered left in the United States, according to the United States political compass, but Democrats would be center or center right, according to a lot of other political compasses across the world, right? Um, The filibuster is a tool for enabling conservatism. It is a 
tool of obstruction. Um, it is, you know, if you have a classroom full of kids and you're trying to vote on what kind of pizza you're going to get for the pizza party and there's 25 kids and five of them want mushroom fucking pizza because they're disturbed. If they get to just- Is this an indictment on mushrooms? Do you- Yes! Everything is an indictment on mushroom pizza. No, not mushrooms. If they're like sauteed in garlic over rice or whatever, that's great. But like on pizza, are you kidding me? They're always dry. What about like- on like a combination style pizza with like if they're under the cheese maybe i don't know i don't do dry mushrooms travis got it okay okay Go i don't on. understand what anyway <laughs> they taste it's it's like packing peanuts i think my my I, I think i have a different experience like i feel like mushrooms on pizza are slimy i think that i think we do have different experiences but it doesn't sound like either one of them is good right right yeah i know it sounds good <laughs> Anyway, say that there's five kids in the class of 25, pretend it's like, you know, 1992 and we still have class sizes of 25 and five kids want mushroom pizza. And because of the, and because of the, uh, the, the great <laughs> traditions of classroom democracy, those five kids that want mushroom pizza get to just stand there and scream until the bell rings. Right. And then there's mushroom pizza. That's literally what it is. The only difference is that the reason why they're able to do that is that we started with mushroom pizza. That's that, and that's conservatism, right? And that's why conservatives are so against things like critical race theory and right. why that's getting banned in all of these schools is that conservatism is traditional, is billed as traditionalism. It's billed as, no, we figured it out the first time. It's fine. We did it right the first time and we need to honor what we did the first time, right? But what we did the first time was fucking racist. Mm -hmm. What we did the first time was, you know, transphobic, homophobic, all of the things. But what we did the first time was also dysfunctional. It was not good for American working people. It was not good for anybody. It was a genocide against indigenous people. It was all of these things, right? So conservatism by its very definition is a pretense that all of our systems were good before. So to your point, yes, you're exactly right. There's no such thing as bipartisanship. Right. There's just no such thing as bipartisanship. There's no such thing as both parties agreeing that something is good because the conservative party, whichever party that so happens to be at the time, is going to say that the way things are now is good. And if the way things are now hasn't been changed, it's not good because right. the state of affairs currently is not good, right? It's only good for some people. Yeah, absolutely. Right? And so, so fundamentally, there, you're exactly right. There is no such thing as bipartisanship. And also tools of obstruction will favor conservatives by definition, always. Correct, right. The Senate's existence in itself is a tool of obstruction. Like I can't, I can't underscore this enough, right? Like the, the, makeup of the senate the the how it is created how we put people in there is favorable to a minority amount of americans there are two senators in wyoming there there are the same amount of senators in california right and that is inherently undemocratic and to add a further blockade in order to promote as a facade, right, a performative bipartisanship, when in reality it is just pure obstruction, it is pure minority rule, right, is incredibly stupid. 
um, uh, you and I have, you know, had like, you know, not recorded conversations about this, but like, I am like a hundred percent a Senate abolitionist, right? Like if I had it my way, which I won't have it my way, right? Because <laughs> to, to change the constitution requires an fucking act of God, right? Um, but- And definitely not the evangelical God because right. he's yeah. not gonna- <laughs> He ain't doing Re- that. Republican Jesus is all for the Constitution, but only like the apocryphal pop culture version of the Constitution. Right, right, exactly. But like we we are one of few Democratic republics in the world, also, right? That has a you know strong upper house system in our legislative body, right? Like ideally, I think what we we would all want in the United States is like more of a parliamentary you know system expand, and and the way that you do that is you get rid of the Senate and you expand the House, right? Um, and that would be the more democratic way to handle things, right? And it's 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 always frustrating every fucking four or two to four years where you have to explain population density to Republicans, right? Like they'll show you a map that has like a bunch of red on it and they're like, impeach uh. this. Um, and like, there's like two people that like live in, you know, you know, Wyoming and then like, you know, 500 million that live in California. Right. But like the, the Senate in itself, like the, the, the Senate in itself is not democratic. It is a not democratic system. Right. It is not democratic party. And, or like, and so like, that's what promotes, it is already entrenched in minority rule. And so to think that like this other procedure that further creates barriers for the majority party party to pass their agenda is like something that is good is just in like I, I I don't know I don't know what to do with that I don't know what to do with that opinion you know right um something that I do feel the need to add every single time somebody brings up Wyoming and population is that Wyoming does have a smaller population than Washington DC so right yeah I just want that to become common knowledge because one of the arguments is always that Washington, D.C. doesn't have enough people to become a state. And it fucking does because we have a state with fewer people in Washington, D.C. <laughs> right. Make D.C. a state. Let's talk about Kirsten Cinema. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, you know, to, to segue a little bit, like what what is interesting about the filibuster and it, or, or about the Senate, really, is that the senators that are utilizing that are weaponizing, I should say the filibuster are the same ones who are using their minority power to object to minority power, right? And so for example, like what what is coming to a head in the United States is a huge affront to voting rights um, for historically marginalized Americans, right? So- It's an emergency. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a huge emergency. It's deeply troubling. Right, um, they're, they're, they're uh, the Democrats and, the um, Texas House were able to, you know, block a bill from passing. You know, we, we, we have all kind of, you know, hopefully, you, you know, you know about the Georgia, the Georgia um, you know, voting bill that has passed. Um, the, the, there are going to be similar um, bills that pop up in, um, you know, majority conservative areas all over the United States as a response, as a, um, as a whiplash to the, um, you know, 2020 presidential election, right? And so the way that you, remediate that is through national legislation, right? Because of course it's going to trump, <laughs> um, you know, state and local, you know, mandates. So um, what has been billed as the, you know, John Lewis Voting Rights Act um, 
And I don't believe that has passed the house yet, um, but it's going to kind of come to a head, right? Like we're, we're, we're going to, it's going to be priority um, voting rights. Um, social justice period has been like something that the Democrats that um, are currently serving the house and the Senate and the presidency um, have promised um, as being a huge priority um, in terms of the agenda are going to attempt to pass a, like wide ranging voting rights bill um, that creates automatic stabilizers. It, it uh, does automatic voter registration. It, it you know makes it easier for people um, who are maybe not able-bodied to vote. You know, it creates uh, access points for, for voters. There's a whole lot of things it does. It injects money into local uh, um, you know election uh, infrastructure in order to provide more more infrastructure for voting, right? Um, and uh, that's of course going to be a um, not very favorable thing for Republicans because if we, you know, it, um, what's interesting about this thing, and you know, we've we've talked about, you know, the filibuster and minority rule and all of these things. Republicans kind of thrive in this idea, right? The electoral college is similarly another system that promotes minority rule. In the United States, right? You can see that in the elections of Donald Trump and and, and George W. Bush, right? Um, so they're going to want to avoid people. The, the Republicans thrive on people not voting, right? Um, that that's how they are able to win elections right. in the United States. <laughs> they right. thrive on apathy. It's it's right. a party that thrives on apathy and misunderstanding. Correct, right? And so um, more people voting equals bad news for them, and so they're going to do their best to um, obstruct that. So this is where Kirsten Sinema comes in. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm so ready i've yeah. been ready for this rant since we started this podcast which yeah. <laughs> well so kirsten cinema over the years has done a lot of things that have made me very upset um but most notably the thing that happened this week <laughs> um is she was asked about the filibuster um in while she was doing a, a press tour for something i'm not sure what it really was um <laughs> but uh she said, you know, the, the, um, she, she kind of toted this, um, tired, um, argument about the filibuster, about how it promotes, you know, it, it protects the minority from, you know, um, majority, um, uh, uh, in the Senate, you know, yada, yada. And then she said the one thing that I think is really important for us to call out, which is Kirsten Sinema's paradigm of the Republican Party is instead of changing the rules, we need to change the hearts and the minds of the Republicans. That's what she said. And mm. let me let me tell everybody something real quick, especially if you're going to run for office. <laughs> if you think that changing the hearts and the minds of Republicans is what's going to deliver us out of this partisanship, this reality that we are living in the United States, then fucking don't run for office. Why the fuck did you run for office if you think that you can change the minds of Republicans? What the fuck was the point of that, Kirsten Cinema? Because obviously we cannot do that. That is not going to be the answer to how you deal with this. If you say, hey, Republicans, can we have maybe some voting rights for Black Americans? They're going to say no. Like that is the party that is the party that is not going to thrive on that. And so for her to just have this like really, really childish fucking understanding of how the Senate works and she is a fucking senator is really, really, really frustrating to me. I, I've said this to you before and I'll, and I'll say it again. And I, I think people may kind of scoff at like how, you know, representation is in the United States Senate. You know, there's a hundred senators 
um, it might it is definitely not a good cross section of the different identities in the United States, right? Right. But Kirsten Cinema, based, I, I, and I might be wrong here, so definitely call me out if I'm wrong. I, I think is the only openly queer person in the Senate. And that's fucking disappointing for all of us in the queer community, <laughs> in the LGBT community. This centrist piece of shit who wants to like hug Republicans um, and, and not get anything done is the person that we have representing like all of us. Um, and we deserve better. Uh, the people of Arizona deserve better. Um, the people um, uh, in the bi community, in the queer community generally, deserve better. And the United States deserves better because all of this hinges on her and Joe Manchin to do the fucking right thing. So if you don't have, you know, the if the Equality Act doesn't pass, if the John Lewis Voting Rights Act doesn't pass, if we're not able to have, you know, all of these progressive things that Joe Biden has like promised in his progressive agenda, you have a few people to blame. And I know that that might sound hyperbolic and, and um, um, a bit dramatic. Uh, and of course there's like nuance and there's a whole lot of moving parts here in order for a piece of legislation to pass. But that is the bottleneck. It's right there, it's in the Senate. Um, and Joe Biden to his credit has called her out on it. Um, and I hope he continues to do that. I hope that we continue to put pressure on the senators as um, we move forward within, um, as we barrel towards 2022, right? Like that that's uh, unfortunately what motivates, what incentivizes politicians to do a thing. It might not always be the right thing. I'm looking at you, the entire Republican party, but with the Democrats, um, if Kirsten Sinema is up for reelection, I do believe that her term is up in 2022. Um, let's put the pressure on. That's what I say about it. Let's fucking primary the shit out of her. If you are a progressive progressive challenger in, in, in Arizona um, that is going to run for Senate, please give me a call. I will give you money. I'm not even kidding. Like I, 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 I am so fucking done with this. It is, it is absolutely ridiculous that like, this is what we have. This, these are the cards that we are dealt. Right. And it is a testament to the fragility of how the Senate is mapped out. Right. Like it's kind of a miracle that we have two Democrats that are from the state of Arizona in the Senate mm. right now, but right. are they Democrats or are they not? Right. Mark Kelly is Mark Kelly right. is a progressive is Kirsten Cinema. I don't fucking think so. Well, this is the thing about Kirsten Cinema. This is, and I want to get to Joe Manson mansion also. Um, this is the thing about Kirsten Cinema is I don't know everything about her. I haven't researched her extensively. Right. She doesn't represent my state, right? right? But I struggle to understand how, you know, exactly like you said, how you could come into the United States Senate thinking, you know, believing in this idea and, and work there for months, right? Right. <laughs> work there for years at this point. Um and still think that the function of the United States Senate is to change each other's minds. <laughs> That's not what you're doing there. That's not what anybody does there. And I'm not saying that that's literally impossible, right. but if that's her goal, I haven't heard of her trying to do that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe somebody knows about some meetings that she where she's sitting down with, you know, um, Lindsey Graham and so on and having a beer with them and, and seeing heart to heart with them and trying to explain, you know, 
the prison industrial complex trying to explain, you know, trying to sit down with them and really, really like, you know, get get on a level with them. Um, I am somebody who believes that a lot of Republicans can be rehabilitated, but I don't think that the puppet masters can. I think they're doing it consciously. Right. Um, I think that a lot of the people who vote for people like um, Mitch McConnell, for example, I think that a lot of those people have been deliberately misinformed, um, deliberately and very aggressively misinformed about what it is that they're voting for. Um, Systematically. Systematically misinformed about what it is that they're voting for. I think a lot of those people are also fucking racist. (laughs) But, you know, um, I I, I think that there's, it's it's not a monolithic group. and I think that there is a lot of progress that can be made with just like sitting down with people and like explaining the bits and pieces that they don't understand. I don't think that that can be done with people like Ted Cruz. I don't think that's what's going to happen there. And I don't understand how you even have a passing interest in politics for more than a couple of months and think that that's possible. And so it it's a struggle for me to think that that's genuine right honestly honestly it is a struggle for me to think that that is genuine i i don't know if i think so lowly of kirsten cinema to think that she is actually that naive right i i I struggle to think that that that's actually what she believes it seems to me like that has to just be rhetoric Mm -hmm. right um she doesn't want to be the scapegoat she right. doesn't want to be the the shield, right? She doesn't want to be the, the human shield, right? Like she she will get she will be placed blame will be placed on her and Joe Manchin and, and whatnot. And unfortunately, what what is ironic about the situation is that she has put herself in that situation, right? right? She is the holdout, right? There is a media narrative around it because she has been like declared as one of the centrist Democrats, but like her and Joe Manchin, which we can talk about here in a second too as well, um, have been the holdouts, right? So you didn't it didn't have to be this way, but like let's say like let's entertain that that argument right and say that like it is on you know it is surface level and she she has this naivete about like what the senate works right like that's exactly what it is though it is she is incredibly naive to how the senate works and she is a senator and that is alarming right if she does not understand the motivations of of, of senators then she shouldn't be in the senate if she doesn't understand why ted cruz is in the senate then she shouldn't be in the senate right if you think that like people are in the Senate to like better the lives or at least Republicans, I should say to better the lives of Americans, then you're a fool. Like, like just like straight up Ted Cruz is in the Senate so he can get Twitter followers and he can like say, you know, some asinine thing on Newsmax every other Friday and he can have profile and he can have power. The Senate is about power Kirsten Cinema is one of a hundred people in the world that can do a lot of damage. It also can do a lot of good, mm-hmm. right? Um, and unfortunately, she's using her power not for good. Mm-hmm. And um, right. it's it's incredibly disappointing. And, and similarly with Joe Manchin, I, I, I do feel like um, uh, the progressive community, uh, including m- myself, if I could identify as that, um, kind of targets Kirsten Cinema a bit, um, you know, 
unfairly in a weight comparatively to to Joe Manchin. Joe Manchin. Before we of- move on, before we move on, I do want to say um, you did commit lesbian erasure. Um, Tammy Baldwin is an openly gay senator from That's the Tammy state Baldwin. of Wisconsin. Love Wisconsin. I love cheese. So, uh, um, we we it was requested. Kirsten Cinema is not the only openly queer senator. There is another one. <laughs> Tammy Baldwin, I apologize. I love the state of Wisconsin. You have a great criminal history reporting system that is available online. So thank you for that. I appreciate that. Um, and also, it was requested by a friend of ours that we cover the cheese conspiracy, and I will send that to you in a TikTok later, Crystal. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I am so excited. <laughs> <laughs> follow travis on tiktok folks what is your handle how many underscores are in it three i think it's three i changed it recently i used to be like whole 30 specific um but i changed to talk about taylor swift and also mario did you get kicked out of whole 30 did you get excommunicated no i, th- I still think we're having still- a podcast about alcohol <laughs> I don't think so. I, th- I still think uh, Melissa Melissa Urban, the founder of Whole30, still follows me on TikTok. So oh. I know. So I must be doing something right, right? Um, Joe Manchin, senator from West Virginia. Um, kind of a miracle, uh, similar to Kirsten Sinema, that he is a Democratic senator from the state of West Virginia, right? Um, not too... Uh, favorable to Democrats, especially these days, right? But he's kind of a holdout of the old Democratic Party one, right? Like one of one of the labor and, and union and working class, right? There's a lot of um, blue collar jobs in West Virginia, specifically around energy and coal mining. Um, and he was kind of a legacy senator from that um, American tradition or that idea of the Democratic Party. Um, because of that, right, he, he sort of holds a lot of centrist, I would say center-right viewpoints, right? But is, I think, a little bit more flexible um, in terms of like what his actions have been uh, over the last year um, to adjusting or weakening the filibuster. He is somebody that is like really, really passionate about voting rights specifically um, and equity therein. And so... I, I think what is going to happen is Chuck Schumer, Senate Majority Leader, is going to try to do what Harry Reid did in order to weaken the filibuster for judicial appointments, where he's going to just put all of these things to a vote, right? Let's put the John Lewis Voting Rights Act to a vote and see what happens. Let's put the Equality Act to a vote and see what happens. Let's put student loan forgiveness up and see what happens. And these are things that I think Joe Manchin specifically cares about. And I I think he is persuadable. Um, I also think that to a point, Kirsten Cinema is persuadable, right? And I mm-hmm. and that's an important de- delineation here, right? Kirsten Cinema is a Democrat, and I know that doesn't mean anything to some people, right? But she's not John McCain, right? <laughs> <laughs> she's not Jeff Flake, um, who I think are um, you know in 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 terms of in terms of the Trump lens are. Um, kind of build as heroes, but have been part of that traditional conservative um, uh, ideology in the past in the Senate, right? And so I would rather have Kirsten Sinema as one of the senators than John McCain, right? Because that Kirsten Sinema voted for the COVID-19, you know, bill, right? That like lifted a lot of people out of crises, you know, like crises um, and, you know, injected money into the economy. And those are important things for us to kind of move forward, right? There is a net positive here. There is nuance, right? Um, But 
with Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema, I do think they're, they are persuadable. And I hope that we can kind of put the pressure on with things that they care about, right? Like if Joe Manchin sees that like his Republican colleagues in the Senate are going to obstruct a voting rights bill, um, especially one that he wrote, um, I think that's going to do something to his psyche a little bit, you know? Um, and, and I hate that we have to like have conversations like this, like how, how do we incentivize? How do we, how do we move the needle forward? How do we do all of these things? Right. But Joe Manchin, Kirsten Sinema are entrenched in this viewpoint about the Senate, right? Like they are in a way similar to what I said about Bernie, right? Are establishment senators. They are traditionalists. They believe Mm -hmm. in the system. They believe in the rules. Like they, you know, they, they have this paradigm about the Senate that is rosy and, and, and again, like this, this idea that the Senate is the most deliberative body in the world. And that's why the filibuster is here. So we can have deliberation and we can have debate and it's just not what happens, right? It's just not the case. And so what, what we need to do, unfortunately, as um, citizens and as voters is we need to show them that that is not the case. Right. And I think Schumer, a person I don't like to give a lot of credit to, is pretty strategic with how he's going to do that, right? If you want to deliver, if you want to, sh- if you if you believe in this paradigm, if you believe in this paradigm of deliberation and debate and honesty and integrity within the United States Senate, put the John Lewis Voting Rights Act on the Senate floor and see what fucking happens. I think I think you're exactly right that there's a lot of, especially legislators. Um, a lot of people in government, but especially legislators, who seem to think that the sort of furniture polish in, you know, the congressional building is some sort of like sacred salve that's going to keep things on the level that this institution, right, that the 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 boards that build the ship somehow have some kind of like magic in them that are going to keep people righteous. Um that, that we need to not go too far. We need to not, you know, we need to be the bigger person. <laughs> we need to preserve the dignity of the American system by just modeling for conservatives, but, you know, modeling for everybody that there's this better way that we can do things, that we can, that we really can um, rise to this presumption of decency, Right. That if we just like go to the park and like pick up some trash, people will notice that we're doing that and we'll follow suit. And that's not how it works. And that's especially not how it works when the amount of money that people make can be made from politics. Politics is a industrial interest. It is a business interest. If you have a multi-billion dollar business, part of your budget is politics because it has to be. And so people who think that politics is somehow above business, is somehow above industry, that you can just go to Washington bright-eyed and bushy-tailed and change everything um, by just being above it all and, you know, playing by the original rules. (laughs) Um, These people aren't playing checkers anymore. It's a fucking gunfight. Right. The stakes are real. And if you show up saying, no, 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 I'm going to move one checker at a time the way that it was meant to be, you're going to fucking lose because that's not the game anymore because we're playing for real money. Right. 
um, summary. People need healthcare. People are drowning in student loan debt. Black people need access to voting. Women, women's rights in terms of their healthcare is being attacked. Um, uh, people just need, trans people are, are, are constantly under attack in this country. And all of these things can be remediated if you got rid of the filibuster. It's just like plain and simple, right? Like you can just pass all of these laws. And that's where I kind of get frustrated with like, I, I'm not a political expert um, and I'm, I'm definitely not a political consultant, but like what I do know about politics is that if you want to win re-election, you need to do the thing that you were elected to do, right? Like if you want to do that, if, if, if Kirsten Cinema, if you want to be in the Senate, what is not going to get you reelected is doing absolutely the fuck nothing. <laughs> nothing. You are doing nothing. You are saying nothing. You think that you have this like ideological um, uh, uh, um, upper hand. Um, you, you, you think that like you are on the moral high ground. But you're fucking not. What you're in reality doing is absolutely nothing. You are giving crumbs to the set to the member or to the people of the state of Arizona. Um, and so, if if we can reduce the you know motivations of politicians to re-election, which it largely is right, um, and 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 I know that that is an unsavory and kind of sickening. Um, you know, uh, uh, reality that we are living in. It, even if you wanted to reduce it to that, like this is bad for business, <laughs> you know? Like doing nothing is bad for business. If you want to have a return on investment, then you need to do the thing. And so do the thing. It's so easy. It's so fucking easy. That's another part of this is that mm -hmm. I just don't understand. Just it's one vote. Just fucking do it. Like just right. bite the bullet. People need healthcare. <laughs> Right. People well, need access to yeah. voting. People need to know that they are protected if they need to get an abortion. People need, right. Trans people want to be able to rent a place to live. Right. I don't understand why this is like, uh, uh, like uh, I know that I'm kind of reducing it to like this black and white scenario. And I understand that there is nuance here, but like I, at the end of the day, like it, sometimes it, there's not right. <laughs> Right. Sometimes it's black and white. Sometimes it's literally binary. Sometimes right. it's life and death. Right. It is. And it is for some of these people. That's what I don't understand. It is right. life and death. And Kirsten Cinema is like, but the filibuster, but Senate rules. But procedure. Right. But tradition. Right. But that's not how we do it. And that's conservatism. Right. She is a conservative. Yes, she's a conservative Democrat. And like a lot of Democrats are conservative Democrats, but Kirsten Sinema is the definition of a conservative Democrat. Right. Um, do we have anything for Bobert Watch? I have one thing. Okay. It's Bobert Watch. I've been looking. Explosion. Guns, guns. Okay, so from the people that brought you, brought her emails. <laughs> comes but his emails starring dr fauci <laughs> oh god okay so 2000 uh emails from dr fauci um released <laughs> to the public in a in a freedom of information act and they were largely boring right there was just like dr fauci doing dr fauci shit right do you want to get fettuccine <laughs> 
Oh, I don't know. I'm feeling falafel today. Yeah. Yeah. It's like all of our emails. Yeah. Dr. Fauci, just like, just like us, right? Yeah. Uh, 40 of them are thank you, smiley face. And two of them are thank you with no smiley face. Right. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) And so of course, like we all interpret the emails like that. The conservatives are interpreting the shit out of all of these emails. Mm -hmm. And so like early on, Dr. Fauci didn't have information about the coronavirus. Um, and so conservatives were like, Dr. C.A. Dr. Fauci, he said that like masks probably weren't needed in February, but here we are. And like he said that we needed masks. Isn't he a hypocrite? Um, so what is happening is he, the conservatives like Lauren Boebert, who was like really going off on this on Twitter, um, are trying to, um, what, what about, uh, what, not even what about, just like try to attack Dr. Fauci armed with knowledge that they have now that he did not have <laughs> in 2020. And it's really, it, it, it's, it's interesting and also sickening and also kind of funny, but like, I don't, I, um, I, I don't understand the end game. Um, they're trying to say that like Dr. Fauci said, masks don't work in like March of 2020. And now, you know, he's a hypocrite because he made all of America wear masks. So (laughs) this, you see this argument constantly. You see this argument constantly from dumbasses, right? Which I use as an umbrella term that does include conservatives, but it's not limited to conservatives. You see this argument constantly from dumbasses. How can science, if science change, huh? Right. And Riddle me me this, liberals. (laughs) How come science used to say this thing and now it says this? Huh? Seems wishy-washy. That's because science, TM, is not carved into a stone tablet, you stupid fuck. Like, it's not hypocritical for a scientist to say there is no evidence suggesting that this thing and then six months later to say there is now evidence suggesting that this thing. These are not contradictory statements. This is an example of science working. This is an, is an example of like human beings learning something. Right. And it's just, it's, I've had half a bottle of wine and I'm pissed off. It's a new virus. It was a new virus. Do you think that Dr. Fauci is like some sort of seer about all available potential viruses in the fucking world? Do you think that he just knows every single detail about microbiology that has happened or will happen? Like, what do you, do you think he's fucking Dumbledore? No, he's not. He's Dr. Fauci. This is what like, it is. This is what it, no, you hit the nail exactly on the head, Travis. The false equivalency that conservatives try to draw is your science can't possibly be right. Right. Because my God knows everything all the time. <laughs> my worldview has never changed, even yeah. though it fucking changes all the time, even though the evangelical worldview is based on a bunch of novels that were written in the fucking 70s. How can science possibly know everything if sometimes they learn things? Sometimes How they can- change their opinion when the facts, like become a parent well and it's interesting too that like this nothing new came out of this except we knew that like dr fauci knew very little about coronavirus just like the fucking rest of us early on right um because we didn't it was a new virus right um and so 
what, what I think is interesting is that like, this is the machine working as intended, the conservative propaganda machine, mm-hmm. right? Like they, they just, they have a, they have a headline. It says Dr. Fauci emails. And that is a trigger for people. That's all you need. Right. If you can paint it on a cardboard sign and bring it to the Capitol the next time you fucking break in, you fucking lunatics. Yeah. <laughs> I know at least one of you is listening. Right. <laughs> that's all they stay, need. Stay home. You're in a cult. Stay home. Like because that's too. That's two thousand emails that they don't have time to go through. But something m- must be fishy in there. Ex- right? Oh, so God. Can, we could yeah. do a whole thing. We could do a whole thing. I can't. I can't. I can't go off. I can't. I can't go into this whole rabbit hole, Travis, because I have. I have so many thoughts. Should we um, talk about where we're standing this week? We should talk about where we're standing this week, Travis. Do you have one, or you want me to go first? Do you have one? I think I have one. Uh, you seem hesitant, so I'm gonna go first. Okay, go. Because I have one. Okay, go. Go. Um, I'm gonna share a recipe. This is what I'm standing this week. Okay. Um, it's a fruit salad. Mm. You take arugula. Wow. Ready? Go on. No, we're we're gonna keep going. There's more. <laughs> arugula. <laughs> Arugula um, and a fruit salad. Okay, go on. Shut up. Arugula, <laughs> watermelon, blackberries, walnuts, feta cheese. Mm. I am both intrigued and also feel like this will kill me. This is a recipe for death. It what? Why? What part of this is lethal, Travis? Arug- arugula and a fruit salad is a that is that is radical. That is a radical ingredient. Arugula it adds a spiciness. Right, it has a peppery taste. You want, you want, I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe my palate is not as nuanced as you know everyone else. But I feel like arugula in a fruit salad is in, knock in, it after you try it. Wait, okay, so watermelon, arugula, feta cheese, blackberries, and what? Walnuts. It sounds pretty good. I'll give it a try. It is best enjoyed outdoors. Um, this is something that uh, part of it's, it's adapted from a recipe that I found somewhere on the internet. Couldn't find it, whatever. Right. Um, but I've added other things. I, I think I added the blackberry. Oh, you are the, the, you are the uh, auteur of this, of this recipe. I, I'm not the, I'm certainly not the only person who's ever put these five ingredients together in my life. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Okay. <laughs> um, but this is my favorite, like summer porch salad got it because like the problem with watermelon is that there's so fucking much of it this is a lot lot. you get a watermelon because you're like i could i could go for a spot of watermelon Mm -hmm. i've got a hankering for a bite of watermelon and then you buy like even one of those like little fucking personal fucking like you know lacrosse ball sized watermelons and you cut it open and it's 40 fucking pounds of fruit it's two tupperwares worth of fruit and you're like how do i deal with this what do i do i don't oh, so- i donate it to fruit flies like i don't right but if you make it into a salad you will consume it and it will be delightful um yeah i'm excited to try this i mean we're, yeah. we're gonna have a lot of of, of porch summer activities i feel like you know i have a studio you have a new studio uh to denver we're gonna be we're gonna be eating watermelon arugula salad we're gonna be porch buddies yeah we're gonna be porch buddies (laughs) fuck yeah (laughs) i'm I'm so ready oh my god i'm so ready to drink wine on a porch with travis 
Maybe we'll record a podcast while we're eating this. Travis, out. how long has it been since I saw you in person? Two years. <gasps> a year and a half. When is the last time? Was it when we saw cats? So uh, December, December of 2019 <laughs> is when Christmas 2019. <laughs> what? What a moment! What a moment! <laughs> Those good burgers we had, though. We had good burgers before we saw. We did cats. have good burgers. We did have good burgers. We should. I have a. I have a few friends on TikTok that I should bring on the podcast, and we should have a debate about whether Cats was a good movie. Because I, I yeah, I'm, ha- I'm happy to have that debate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, anything else you're standing this week, Crystal? Um, you know what, Travis? Another thing. Mm-hmm. It's also food related. Um. Being able to boil pasta in a reasonable time mm. Mm. at this altitude, which is not, you know, basically, yeah, which level. is basically sea level. Yeah. You can boil pasta in like five, six, seven minutes. Yeah. You can just, you can just make pasta. It's just a thing. Yeah. You have elevation privilege. How long do you, how, how long does it take you to make pasta, Travis? You know, us mile hires, uh, it takes a while. It takes a while. I would say probably 15 minute range. 15? Yeah. Because I remember it taking me like a fucking half an hour. <laughs> well, it depends on the strength of your stove, you know? Maybe it's that. Maybe that's what it is. But shit, maybe maybe ba- maybe the last time I tried to make pasta in Colorado, I was still like too chicken shit to turn my stove all the way up. Because like did, did anybody else, did you grow up, Travis, with like that, like, oh, you you're not allowed to turn the anything onto full strength because it right. will start a fire. Yeah. But like the secret is that like, it's not that turning it up to full strength will start a fire. It's that it's broken. Yeah, totally. Yeah. That's actually, <laughs> that, that, that's actually how I've suppressed my sexuality during my <laughs> If I put it on full strength, then it would start a fire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but oh, I, God. I definitely know what you mean. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm a big, so I'm not using multiple burners usually at the same time. I'm efficient. Yeah. Um, I don't have time. I don't have time for like, I, I don't make tea usually. Well, sometimes I do make tea. Um, I don't usually make tea. Um, and if I do, then I'm usually using the big it's burner. It's just Ecky's. Wait. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like how you were like, I like how we're like scoffing at tea. To be clear, this is a pro tea podcast. <laughs> You, yeah, I, I, so everyone's, I'm, 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 I, I started a tea journey. So if you have tea recommendations, please let, let, like send them to me. Uh, I'm more of a coffee oh, girl. I'm excited about your tea journey. Yeah, I'm, I'm on a tea journey. I'm more of a coffee girl though. Crystal, you're more of a tea, tea girl. Um, I, yeah. I drink a lot of, I drink a, a, an ungodly amount of coffee. Like it's just too You much. are the poster person for Cafe Bastello. Yeah, I, yeah. That, yeah, and maybe maybe I maybe I, that's what I was saying this week as Cafe Bustello. Um, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> what are you standing this week, Travis? We should get to it. What are you standing? Um, I well, I I had a little bit of a drive today, so I was like, I, I want to listen to an album I haven't listened to in a while. Okay. Um, so I listened to Chloe and Hallie's Ungodly Hour. Have you listened to this record? I have not very good R&B. Um, they are um, prodigies of Beyonce. Um, and they released their debut album last year in 2020 called Ungodly Hour. Um, just an incredible 
incredible project. No skips, which is very rare in um, the musical paradigm that we have in 2021, um, which I have a lot of thoughts on, but I won't get into. Um, albums just like don't mean anything anymore, but like this one does. And it's like a fully thought out project that is incredibly well produced um, and just like great army music. Um, specifically the song um, Tipsy um, and the song Royal, I think are like incredibly well produced and like have intricate ideas and harmonies and Colin Halley, amazing, amazing singers, very good talents. Um, but just if, if you haven't, like if you've slept on this album, Ungodly Hour, um, really good, really good for work, really good for working out, really good for um, just kind of like laying on your couch, staring at the ceiling and just like consuming the production of like an incredible R&B album. Disclosure um, produced a few of the tracks um, and you can kind of like really hear that's that, that like stylistic choices that they've made. So really good. I like music, music is good. Yeah. Yeah, I know that you are anti music musical theory. Um that you Music theory, you don't like that. I, I saw that. So uh I Crystal Crystal famous. No real music Crystal doesn't is, like music. <laughs> music is just a theory and we haven't proven it yet. Uh do you have any parting wisdom? Um I have some. Are you ready? Oh, primary yes. primary Kirsten cinema. Yeah, do that. Primary hair. Get out there, Arizona. Right. Yeah. And what what is the thing that we always say? Please, please be okay. Please be okay. Please be okay. Oh, go outside. Please be okay. Please go outside. Uh here, okay. Now here's here's a here's a party one stuff. This is a this is a really sappy. Mm. Um when I say please be okay, I am actually serious. There's a lot of times when I'm scrolling through Facebook, TikTok, whatever. And there's people that I don't really talk to. Like, we're not close. They're just people I so happen to follow, so happen to be friends with, so happen to whatever. And they'll, like, make a post. And it'll be like, holy shit, I'm glad they're okay. Yeah. Right? So, like, I just, this is my parting wisdom. Just be aware. There's a lot of people who are, like, just, like, peripherally following your existence who are like really glad that you're okay. Oh, Crystal. <laughs> That's so earnest and nice. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. Fuck your sister about you're like, please take care of yourself. <laughs> please. That's what I mean when I say please be okay. Please be okay. Please do be that though. Do be that. Also go see a movie when you can. Oh my God. Like be safe. If you're comfortable, do that. Okay. But also go see a movie also holy shit floss afterwards because i cut my gum on a fucking piece of popcorn and it got infected i thought i was gonna die from bone cancer but i didn't yeah actually flossing is not real um it's it's uh, very real travis i will not stand propaganda not on my podcast flossing is made up by dentists it's not right you're right but it's like, do real. I want to do it? Do I actually want to do it? I feel like I'm one of like maybe four or five, you know, patients a week that when I go to the dentist, I'm like, yeah, I should probably start flossing. Right. And they're like, ha ha ha. And they get uncomfortable about it. But I'm like, you know, that nobody flosses. Right. Um, 
anyways of course, they, of course they know of course they know they went to school for 14 years to learn how to look at teeth travis they know that you're not flossing right let me mansplain flossing to you sir dentist um is that mansplain what is the what is the term for a non-dentist is there a word for that it's, it's just a person dentists are not real anyways okay we're gonna wrap it up uh, anyways <laughs> okay primary kirsten cinema anything else crystal uh enjoy a salad outdoors yeah yeah even if it has arugula yeah if it's if it's summer for you enjoy a salad outdoors if you're in the southern hemisphere batten down the hatches yeah yeah (laughs) eat some soup yeah yeah okay Okay. bye everybody (laughs) bye